ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, it's mini-sode time on Kill by Kill. Greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from Hamilton High, or at least that's where we're going to end up. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we're dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. And today we are going to do a bit of preamble. We are going to come up next week on Prom Night 2, Low Mary Lou. And before we do, our special guest for that first episode is actually in the studio with me. So I wanted to talk to him very quickly. The one and only Tyler McIntyre. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for taking time to come on down here to the hinterlands of Long Beach to speak to me about a Canadian film that is not readily available on almost any media until a month and a half ago. Yeah, I was very happy to see this one uh, drop on Amazon. So, uh, and, and I know a lot of uh, Shutter people also are getting to see it. So it's uh, it's exciting for me because I actually uh, grew up uh, in Alberta where this film was shot and went to school in Edmonton and uh, had heard legend of it as someone who kind of, you know, desired to make horror movies and was from that neck of the woods. Sure. Now, I grew up locally uh, up in Glendale. Uh, my junior high school ended up in a couple of films, Better Off Dead and Return to Horror High. Cool. Return to Horror High is awesome. Yes. So it's very weird to look at those films and disassociate my personal experience from that uh, very fictional experience. So did you find that growing up where there were, there were things or that there were films that were uh, happening or television shows that filmed around where you grew up that... Uh, not really. I mean, like, like there's really not very much industry where I grew up. Like it's like, it's oil and gas and, and farming mostly where I, where I'm from. Uh, but that said, there's like, um, you know, a couple like staples where like you kind of realize as you're going like unforgiven, you know, for instance, shot about an hour south of where I grew up in, in just outside of Calgary. And then, um, you know, like, uh, down near where my mom lives, uh, uh, in kind of Southern Alberta, there's, uh, uh, uh they shot like the the uh, Kansas stuff from Superman and okay. like days of heaven, you know? Sure. So like, you know, some pretty iconic, you know, like big fields and shit. Lots of hands dipping into wheat. Exactly. Yeah. And it got, it got like, you know, so there, um, and then like more recently, there's been a lot more like, you know, like the revenant and, you know, like, and like mm-hmm. uh, parts of inception and things like that. And uh, when I was in university, they shot like uh, uh, the assassination with Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford um, okay. in, in Edmonton. Um, but like, I was nowhere near like, like that, that whole <laughs> industry, like, you know, like it, whereas like it was more of my speed to kind of be like, Ooh, they shot, you know, prom night two here. And this is where they, <laughs> this is where they store that negative. You know, like, it was literally like it was so lame, and um, I know they shot it at uh, this high school there called Archbishop uh, O'Leary, um, mostly. And then a lot of like, f- they look to me like the, the buildings from the university where I went, University of Alberta. Um, but uh, I mean, beyond that, like, I mean, Edmonton really has like two claims to fame in my mind, and one of them is is this, and the other one is Ginger Snaps. So it's like, <laughs> which is two, it's pretty good. Like, that that is two for two, totally. Decent Canadian horror can exploitation, as you were. It, yeah, exactly, it was a hundred percent tax shelter stuff. You know, well, other than Ginger uh, Snaps isn't, but <laughs> but uh, excellent representations of uh, uh, of low budget horror films. So let's talk about you a little bit in terms of how you got into this. The first thing that I saw from you landed on Netflix, and that was Patchwork. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Patrick's my uh, my first feature, um, and so. It's um it, it, like a essentially it's a Frankenstein movie, but a um 
three women who go out partying one night and end up stitched together in the same body. And it's kind of a horror comedy, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, you know, in the vein of reanimator. And so the women have to kind of work together to, uh, find who did this to them and exact revenge. And so, um, yeah, we, we, we shot that in, uh, the end of 2014 and then uh, into 2015. And, uh, then it, it played festivals for about a year and a half and then eventually came out, uh, on, uh, last year and, the, and, uh, people finally got to see it. And as soon as it drops on Netflix, it's like, you know, on the shelf of blockbuster and people start, uh, <laughs> Telling me like, hey, you made a movie, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, like, yeah, I guess start getting messages from, on Twitter from like people from Ohio or wherever, and 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 it's uh, it's great, uh, you know. I, I'm glad that people are finally getting to check it out. Now, was that an, an original thing from you and your writing partner, or did you come into that project uh, with some semblance of this had been going around? Uh, no, I, it was from. Uh, so I write with a, a gentleman named uh, Chris Lee Hill, um, and so we've wrote our first two mo- uh, two movies and possibly the next one together, and so. Um, we, I made a short film called Patchwork, which was a two was two minutes long, which essentially is one of the scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I didn't, I didn't use the same footage, but I essentially made a two minute short film that was about a female Frankenstein, and um, people were watching it and 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 kind of reacting positively. Like it didn't really like I didn't push it out to film festivals really. I just kind of showed it around um, as kind of a sort of preliminary pitch thing, and people were checking it out and being like. Oh, like this is this is this fun. Is there like a feature length script to this? And I, and I was like, yeah, there could be. I seem to make some tweaks. So so we like went <laughs> went away for a month and then came back with like you know a script we wrote together, and uh, and it just happened so it happened that Chris was in town and we had always wanted to kind of you know write a feature that we could make kind of based on a specific scale and so we sort of wrote to our our constraints and things we knew we could get and and ended up with uh with a um you know a, a, a feature length thing that we thought was a you know kind of a fun tone for us and and you know like i liked horror comedy too because it allowed us to um essentially if we wanted to pivot to a, a more straight horror movie or a sci-fi movie or more straight comedy like no one would be surprised um so uh uh, which I think is a little bit like if you do drama, like drama with a capital D, then that's like all you're going to do for like 10 years. True. Uh, it, it shows range, but you're also on a tightrope. So with Patchwork in particular, you have the story of these three women. The reason they have come together is because they've all been murdered and they're essentially solving their own murder. But within that, you have the comedy tones and you have sci-fi tones. How do you decide, is it something in the moment or is this something you, you sort of discover three times, once when you're writing, once when you're filming, once when you're editing, as far as how to know when you are in the specific zone of, you know, people are going to get this tone. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's something that I've always had a very specific pulse on personally. Like, uh, like I, I like movies that have kind of a strange tones or, or take large risks with tone like that's very exciting to me because it often means that you're watching something that isn't quite like other things and so um so it it is a challenge um i find it's really difficult to get tone across um uh like very specifically on the page like and i don't think that's just a limit of us as writers but i mean like in general i think people read a script and and aren't 100 percent cognizant of what it could be you know like on the screen Mm -hmm. and so um you know, like, and there's this uh, also kind of double-edged sword of trying to pitch a horror comedy specifically because there's a bit of a, a there's a stigma against them um, in in the industry, definitely on the sales side uh, or in the financing side because there's this myth that horror comedies don't make money, and and it, like there's no real backup for that by the way like it's just just an arbitrary fucking thing that somebody said in the 80s i i I assume it comes from 
people spending too much money to make a horror comedy not making enough money. I mean, I guess, but like, you know, some of my favorite things, like, you know, American Warfare in London, right. like, you know, like, like, uh, um, you know, fucking Shaun of the Dead, like, you know, like there's, there's great examples, like even ones that are like, you know, Wan of the Dead, like it's amazing, you know, like, like, uh, um, or, um, you know, uh, Tucker and Dale, like th- there's a lot of really great examples of, of horror comedy working well and making a lot of money. And especially like in the eighties and nineties and as well as, you know, all the way up until now. And I really do think that's actually kind of a myth. Um, so, so more often than not, people will read a, a script that's a horror comedy script and be like, Hey, there's fucking jokes in here. Are you aware of that? You know, like, and, and they just like, you know, they just don't get it. And, and you're just like, yes, I know. Like, and I'm using that, you know, cause horror and, and comedy are often, you know, they're kind of one side of, or sorry, two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And you can really, one really, they really strengthen each other because, you know, you can build tension and then you can have a scare or a piece of gore or something disgusting. And then you can use a laugh to kind of like reset the palette mm-hmm. and do it again. And that's important. And you'll see horror, uh, you know, like use comedy, you know, in, in all sorts of ways. And that's, I think you need that levity and you need that balance. And so like, if you can get past that hurdle and actually make it, um, then uh, I find like my personal strategy is really just to shoot as much stuff as I can um, of not really a range of tones, but like if something feels like it's getting too silly, then I'll shoot something that's a little pulled back or, or the opposite. If it's not silly enough, then we can, you know, try and um, add something uh, that has a little bit of levity to give yourself some out. Um, and then uh, in the editing room, I do much more balancing the tone because my background is also as an editor. So on a moment to moment basis, you can really figure out, um, you know, within each scene, you know, where you are and then just be very honest with yourself about how that's working. And you, and that involves showing it to people and doing like test screenings and seeing like, oh, they kind of tuned out here. And like, how do I get this joke to land? Or how do I get this, this scare to land? And finding those little bits. And sometimes it's a, you know, it's very micro changes, but um, giving yourself that runway and that, or like having the presence of mind to, you know, uh, build in that time and realize that you do need to work at it in order to get the balance to work uh, is, is I think where, where a lot of, um, uh, projects kind of tend to fail because you don't, you just kind of assume that like, well, I, I wrote this joke and it seemed funny on the page and we shot it this way and that's the way it's supposed to be in the edit right. and not really like having that extra check and balance for yourself. So when we, we, now we move over from patchwork to tragedy girls. Now, what I found interesting about both films is they are weirdly in some way, in one specific way, the flip side of the same coin. In Patchwork, you have three women who did not know one another at all, who have trouble making connections for various reasons, and are now bound together because of this one incident, and then have to find a way to forge a friendship and a a way to work together when they're not really built to do that. On the flip side, you have Tragedy Girls, lifelong friends. They've always been tight, and there's this one thing that's driving them, and it allows them to push each other further and further and further. I don't want to give away the whole hog, but it is crazy how much it weirdly played off of one another when I watched them back to back. Where did you guys, was it a conscious decision to decide to play both of those ends of female friendships? And did you find a hurdle to that, you know, being two guys from Canada <laughs> necessarily? Yeah, you're, you're digging deep here. Uh <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, uh, we definitely um, wanted to, because uh, having just actually uh, just come off of um, Patchwork, like we just finished the edit when we started writing Tragedy Girls. And so uh, we wanted to, you know, obviously explore like a different type of relationship. And and I think it's um, it helps kind of, you know, having like a, um, 
essentially, uh, you know, some thematic similarities. But again, like we wanted to, you know, explore different types of, of relationships. And I really like, um, you know, digging deep on on friendships. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, like those are uh, you know pretty much the most like important relationships in my life. And so um, it was, uh, you know, really the anchor point for Tragedy Girls, like the idea that. Um, we you don't need to get behind what these girls are doing. You don't need to get behind like you know I, you know knowing what it's like to be a teenage girl. You can just need to identify with the idea of having a best friend, mm-hmm. and then that is like the really the guiding uh, light for us. And it allows us to kind of like once we get you to buy that relationship, I think we you know um, part of the fun of the movie is trying to test that and like how far will you as an audience member go with us down this rabbit hole? Yeah, and if we can you know. Um, you know, and, and when they do go too far, like, you know, uh, like, how does that make you feel? And that's part of like, what's, um, interesting, uh, about it is like, we made a movie, made this movie in like a context where, um, you know, we were outside the system enough that, you know, you could try something like that and we can go kind of dark places mm-hmm. and they, you know, and then there was no one there to stop us. So, uh, you know, and, and, and that's again, like, you know, like that's part of the advantage or really the only advantage of making a movie like, like kind of on a, on a smaller scale uh, is that you can take those risks without, um, you know, people stopping you. And <laughs> yeah, um, but but I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, you know, you seem to really have got a, a very specific watch of, of our movies in context. <laughs> and there's not that many people I've talked to who have. So it's very enlightening for me. Um, I, it just, it, it sparked the thought. And I at least wanted to know it because I think it was because I had heard about Tragedy Girls much more than Patchwork. But then I had watched Patchwork patchwork so long ago i wanted to refresh so i like uh, put this in it's gonna make me laugh I, I i enjoy this movie and flipping them back and forth was like oh there's a yin and a yang here that it, and that's that's one of those things where you pull from the universe you're not entirely sure it's it's intentional but it is really interesting the other thing that sort of plays around in tragedy girls and it's very different in terms of its its time frame in scream you have a pair of of guys who are doing terrible things, but you're not because of the framework of that film. You're not aware of what they're doing yeah, until so the very it's end. Who done it? Yeah, yeah. Tragedy Girls is not inherently starting out to be a who done it. It that gets threaded in along the way, and I was like, this is like a way of doing Scream from those two guys' point of view, and yet it retains all the humor of Scream. It's not is it's. it's it retains some of the delicious meanness of it. it there's biting moments, but I, you also don't hate them, which is, again, that very tough balancing act. So did you know that was happening in the moment? Were you able to incur? Was there a moment when you were filming that where you're like, oh, I think we're on the right track here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I knew it, at the end of the day, uh, like I could write the script any way I wanted, but it was going to come down to those two actors. Sure. You know? And and so I, um, uh, you know, I had my uh, my hopes. You know, like <laughs> we made some very specific lists, and, uh-huh. and uh, we actually worked with the same cast directors from Scream, actually uh, Lisa Beach and Sarah Katzman. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, who were wonderful. Um, but uh, you know, we knew, we didn't want to build this ensemble, but it was really just about the girls. And so we um, ended up uh, making these lists, and and ended up with these um, these two actors that we we knew kind of knew each other because they were both in Marvel movies previously right. and they'd done press together and gone to Comic-Con and stuff. And so um, I ended up meeting with Alex who plays Michaela first. And so we just went to the one-on-one cafe and 
uh, and kind of sat down and, um, and she's like, I just came from Brianna's house and we did a table reading. It was awesome. <laughs> and, and so like, they really took like, you know, uh, like they invested themselves in the, in the part and they lived together while we were shooting it. So like, I knew that chemistry was going to be there and they mm-hmm. both wanted a part that uh, parts that they could really make their own. And so, but it wasn't until like rehearsal when I started to kind of like, you know, getting them like getting the scenes on their feet and finding that rhythm between them that I'm like, Oh, you know, I could watch these girls forever. And then I was like, that's going to be, that's key. Cause like, as long as I can make that relationship work and that, that you're rooting for that. Mm-hmm. Um, then I knew that we could push it, you know, one way or the other. And then, uh, the rest of the time it was just kind of, you know, tonally trying to throw a fastball through the whole size of a grapefruit or something, you know, like <laughs> just, just get, like hoping that the people would tune into it. It's really nice to also watch a movie about young people that does deal with social media, but does not make the entire point of the presentation about the evils of social media. Like we all get it. Not everything has to be black mirror. I love black mirror, but I don't want it 24 seven. So was that something that you guys worked out in terms of how you wanted to approach this or did you find it along the way? Because (laughs) that you understand their mania, but it's never really about them achieving this very ephemeris social media cachet. It's more about these are the things that they wanted together. And the closer they get to it, they do find that the reason they wanted to go there and the things that have gotten them there start, start to pull them apart. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And, and we were pretty conscious of, you know, like we didn't want to present like an answer, you know, because like, I think social media is still very much evolving, you know, yeah. like, and, and I think we work, we point very directly at that, you know, social media has a way of kind of disassociating us from like real world violence and suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a, um, there's an element of, of just being aware of that. Um, but that said, like, we don't like, it's an ongoing thing. And so we wanted, we thought there'd be okay to kind of, uh, you know, point, point that, uh, um, or point at that, uh, you know, thematically and satirically really. Uh, but um, knowing that we weren't going to present any, like you know, like like a Black Mirror style, like <laughs> we got to pump the brakes on this, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that we, um, you know, that we kind of had to play another angle, and uh, you know, when that's where kind of the friendship stuff stuff came in. Well, I think it really works out beautifully. Um, and now, in terms of its rollout, it had a, a theatrical element that went to it. Uh, now it's available on VOD. Is it going to land in one specific place anytime soon? Uh, yeah, it's 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 on uh, it's on all VOD platforms right now. You know, iTunes, uh, um, Amazon, wherever you um, you know uh, uh, do pay VOD stuff. Um, it's going to hit uh, Hulu soon, I believe, next month. Okay. Uh, and so anyone who has uh, that SVOD platform, which I'd encourage you to get because they have plenty of great content. Yes. Uh, uh, it'll be it'll be there for for the next uh, um, year or so, and uh, and then uh, on to uh, other pastures. All right, excellent. Well, I would encourage everyone. I I went and paid for it happily. <laughs> I wanted to buy a ticket to it, but it just the uh, it just came up uh, snake eyes for me on that. But as soon as it came up, I'm like oh. Oh, thank God it's here and I can, I can watch it right away. And I thought it was well worth the trip. I, the, the, the people that you're able to bring into it, they don't feel like they're dropped out of outer space. The guest stars, if you were, I sometimes feel like you get a, you get a, you know, a, an actor for two, three days, maybe get them for 24 hours and it can feel like they're from outer space, but not, no one in there feels like they didn't get the tone of what you were going for or they weren't just naturally inclined to it. It just, it all flowed so well. And I, I, it it just felt cinematic on top of it, which I thought was 
a real accomplishment. Yeah, thank you so much. We, we you know, we're very fortunate with a lot of our cast members and and you know Craig, Josh, Kevin Durand, like everyone, really kind of snapped into the <laughs> into, into the vibe of it. And once they stepped on set, and it, um, you know, allowed us to do a lot for our for our you know size. All right, excellent. Well, folks. Right out there, right now, we have Patchwork on Netflix. We have uh, Tragedy Girls available on VOD. Uh, thanks so much for stopping by. And, of course, next week, folks, we're the cult of Mary Lou. It's no no longer just growing. It's here. We're going to dive into it for our, our the first two kills of Prom Night 2. So until then, uh, for myself and for Tyler, bye-bye, everybody. It's only going to get louder. Yeah, it's like shooting in L.A. We are kind of in L.A. It's L.A. County. I, yeah. It's as far as I could go and convince people I still worked in the industry. Because when we told people we're moving to Long Beach, they're like, oh, are you leaving the Are you leaving the industry? Like, so, no, no. It's I'm still, so sorry. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no. It's still L.A. County. Just because I didn't go to the hinterlands of the valley does not mean mm. that I'm not in uh, L.A. County. I'm still paying industry tax, an absurd amount of money for a very small house. Ah. Uh.